Let's just pray as we come to the Lord's word this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word, that we can sit under your word and that you would speak to us through it. And we thank you, Father, for the encouragement that we get from your word. And we thank you for the way that you speak to us through it. And so we do pray by your Holy Spirit this morning that you would minister to us through your word as we read and think deeply about these truths. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's great to be with you this morning. My name is Gareth. I am one of the fellowship, or what part of the fellowship at Oxford Presbyterian Church. It's really lovely to be with you again today. And I'd like to ask if you'd turn with me to Romans chapter 15. And from Romans chapter 15, I'm just going to read from verses 1 to 13. Paul writes to the Christians in Rome. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbour for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those you reproached, you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony of one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, rejoice O Gentiles with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. What wonderful words they are and how much we need them today. And the title of my message this morning is Abounding in Hope. To think about what it means to overflow with hope, to have an abundance of it. I wonder this morning, do you have an abundance of hope this morning? For anything like me, you'll find that your hope has kind of waned off over the last few years. You'll have probably found that life has become more and more difficult. It's become harder to have hope. In fact, I'll admit admit that at times I don't enjoy life as much as I have over the years. There have been times where I look back and think, I miss the days where I used to just get up in the morning and think, what fun, enjoyable activity am I going to do today? Rather than kind of waking up and wondering what chapter of Revelation am I living in today? As things just seem to get more and more darker in the world around us. There's war, there's there's plagues, there's unrest. 
There's, there's apostasy in the church. It feels like the world has become darker almost overnight. And no doubt we can often find ourselves often looking back. Something I noticed particularly in myself over the lockdowns was I found myself just looking back because it was very hard to find things to look forward to. I wonder this morning, do you find it's really hard to look forward to things? You're thinking, I wish I had something to look forward to. But I'm struggling to find something to look forward to today. And in our world today, it seems like hope and peace and joy is so hard to find. In fact, in many places, it's missing. And yet here is the Apostle Paul praying for the Christians in Rome that they would abound in hope. He's saying that it's not just possible to have hope, but to overflow with it. Imagine if you told people you know, I'm overflowing with hope. They would probably think you're a bit crazy. But that's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. We can overflow with hope, which means that if we overflow with hope, that means we've got hope to share with others. Paul also prays that they'd have all joy and peace in believing. All joy and peace in believing, that elusive happiness and peace that everybody else in the world is looking so hard for. The Christian has it, and the Christian can have all joy and peace in believing and abound in hope. Is that not wonderful news this morning? To know that we can abound with hope, that we can overflow with it. It's what so many people are crying out for in the world. It's what so many people here in Solihull are longing for. And yet I wonder as Christians, it's almost as if often we don't check our bank account as it were. We live like spiritual paupers. We have these wonderful spiritual riches and, and yet it's like we don't check our bank account. We don't see what God has given to us in Christ. And so I want to think this morning specifically about that hope and to focus on that one verse in verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. And just before we go into that in more depth, I'd just like to very briefly just give the context as up to that point in Romans, in the letter to the Romans, the Apostle Paul, right at the end of Romans, is talking about unity and harmony amongst Christians. And earlier on in the letter, he's already presented the good news of the gospel, the power of God for salvation. But he's also presented the bad news that fallen humanity is lawless and stands condemned before God. Paul, Paul says that the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. It is that when the righteousness of God is revealed, our unrighteousness is exposed. And the believer looks at the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, believes in him, and the righteousness of God is put onto the believer. It is imputed to them. The righteous lives by faith, the gift of faith. Whilst the law of God condemns us and shows us our sin and weakness and failing, our faith in Christ's atoning death on the cross justifies us. Paul presents the glorious benefits of the gospel, the assurance of salvation for the believer. have assurance this morning. You have the assurance of your salvation this morning. Paul expands on God's great plan of salvation for the Jews and the Gentiles, both the Jews and the Gentiles being represented in that church in Rome. And having considered this wonderful salvation, in the second part of the letter, 
Paul urges them to love one another with brotherly affection. And how we need that brotherly affection in the church. Christians so often fall out over all sorts of silly things. And Paul's saying, love one another. Love one another like Christ loves you. Love one another. Don't pass judgment on one another. And and in, in this context, he's talking about trivial things like food and drink. Don't cause one another to stumble. And then that brings us to the end of chapter 15, where Paul has to deal with two types of division in the church. The division of the strong and the weak, and the division between the Jew and the Gentile. These are in-house arguments. These, these are in-house arguments. And to the first group, he instructs them not to live with this selfish, isolationist attitude. This idea that, well, it's my life, I'll just do as I please. He says, that's not the way of Christ. He says, we don't live to ourselves or die to ourselves. We don't live in that way. And to the second, Paul reminds them of that wonderful unity. Jew and the Gentile has, or in Christ, that he's already explained fully in chapters 9 to 11. And this then brings us to the benediction that we're going to look at this morning, verse 13. And as we look at it, I want to ask the question really, essentially, how do I abound in hope? As we're looking at this this morning, we're thinking, well, that's all very well, but how do I have an abundance of hope today? How do I go to work tomorrow and this week with that abundance of hope how do I take a hold of it how do I get to have it and as we look at that let's firstly think about the source of this hope the source of the hope the God of hope the God of hope spare a thought for the atheist for a moment it's a terrible thing to be an atheist The atheist believes there's no purpose or meaning to life. Our existence is is a mere accident. There's no real big plan to our existence. Our lives are of no significance at all. We just have to really make the most of this short time we have on earth. And then we're all going to eventually die out, as everybody does. We'll all die out. And since the universe itself is cooling and expanding, all of the stars will eventually die. So at some point, our sun will expand and it will consume all the inner planets It will destroy all life here on earth. Everything will be completely destroyed. And all the stars eventually will die out. And the universe will just be this cold, dark, empty void. With all trace of life on earth completely wiped out. Now that is pretty depressing. That is a pretty bleak way of looking at life. It's not the truth. But the thing is, the truth is actually more dreadful for the unbeliever. Than that idea that everything ceased to exist. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This means that condemnation and eternal punishment is for the sinner. It's a face, a fate worse than death. And I remember hearing Steve Lawson, the preacher, saying, For the one who's not born again, they'll wish they'd never been born. Which is a very blunt way of putting it. But the Anglican Bishop J.C. Ryle, this is when bishops really were bishops. And J.C. Ryle said that without the cross of Christ, the Bible is a very dark book. If there's no way of forgiveness, and there's no salvation, then everything is hopeless. We're all condemned to an eternity in the lake of fire. What a terrible thing. The bad news is more terrible than our worst fears, but the good news is more wonderful than our highest hopes. Let's look together at verse 12. 
quoting from the prophet Isaiah, Paul says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. In him will the Gentiles hope. There's a Messiah who will redeem and reign over the Jew and the Gentile. He'll reign over all of us. And that is to say that the Christian can then say that he's my Lord and my Saviour. I'm no longer under the bonds of sin and death. The world and the flesh and the devil have no hold on me anymore. In Christ, I'm completely forgiven and justified. Earlier on in chapter 5, the Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The source of this hope is the glory of God. The true Christian longs to see the Lord face to face. Lord, show me your glory is the cry of the devoted hearts. The Christian will persevere because they long to see the Lord Jesus Christ. When life gets really painful, do you have in your heart that I just long to see my Savior face to face? You know, quite often when life is difficult, we go through the week and we might have something in our life, just a little ray of light that we're looking forward to. Maybe it's a family meal or some day out or something just on our day out. We're just looking forward to that. On Saturday, I'm going to do this. And we live our lives looking forward to that, 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 that brief little oasis. And it helps us. It sustains us through the week. And yet, how much more should the glory of God for the Christian just drive us through every painful thing that we find ourselves going through? The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is revealed to us. That the source of all hope and love and life itself is God. He is the source of that hope. But secondly, let's think about the way to hope. The way to hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. In believing. Now, ultimately, what we put our faith in is what we're going to put our hope in. So if we believe in worldly things and we think they're going to make us happy, then our hope will be in those things. And you see people live their lives putting hope in all sorts of things. They're, they've kind of backed that thing in their life. It's like they've backed that horse. They've invested in that thing. They said, that is what's going to make me happy. And that thing is what their hope is essentially in. Whether it's the job, whether it's the house, whether it's the relationship or the marriage or, or, whatever, or the family, or whatever it might be. Things that are good of themselves, but those are the things that if we only put our faith in those things and our hope in those things, we'll always be left disappointed. The expectation will will never live up to what we're putting our hope in. And those things essentially are idols. Now, if we put our hope in those things, we've essentially created an idol. And this is the problem of humanity. We've sinned against God and we've been idolatrous. We've put our faith in other things. And so the question is then, how do I access God since I'm alienated from him because of my sin and my living for the false hope of an earthly idol? The Bible tells us the way to God is by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5.8 says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is the true ground of joy and peace this morning, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting him for our salvation. Christ was the one who was sent to save sinners. 
and the sinner believes in the Lord Jesus Christ and is saved. If you're a Christian here this morning, you have perfect peace and you have joy and you have hope. You have peace because your sins have been forgiven. You're no longer under the guilt and shame of sin. There's no condemnation for you this morning if you're in Christ. You have peace. So few people have peace today. If you're a Christian this morning, you also have joy. You have joy because you know that God loves you and and he looks at you with favor and delight. You know that when God looks at you, he looks at you with pure love and devotion. When God looks at you, he sees his son. There is pure joy in knowing that God delights in you. and The joy that is in us comes from being loved. Basking in the benefits of the gospel. And when life is really tough, we bask in the, in the benefits and the assurance of being loved by God. There's also hope in being able to look forward. The atheist thinks this life is all there is. But for us, we look forward to the final day when Christ returns and gathers his saints to be with him for eternity. To live in anticipation of that day. Only a born born again believer can live in the light of that hope. How desperately we need that hope today. I wonder, we may be here this morning and we may believe those things to be true. I hope all of us here believe that, but many of us here would believe that to be true. We believe that with our minds, but are, are they really true for us? And I think there are essentially three kinds of people in the church today. The first group are those who, they go to church, they're professing and yet they're unregenerate Christians. They're not actually true Christians, they're not born again. In fact, for many years that was me. I was someone who went to church but wasn't born again. So there's the unregenerate Christian. But there's also a second group, which is that there are regenerate Christians, genuine believers, who lack the assurance of their salvation. Yeah, you are saved, but you... You lack that assurance. And then there are those, that third group, those who walk so closely with the Lord. They're like the disciple John. They call themselves the beloved. I know that I'm loved. Now, I'd love to be in that third group. But I'll be honest. I think myself and many of us would admit that, for many of us, we do tend to fall into that second category, don't we? That we, we know we're saved. We've put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But why do we feel so awful? Where's my assurance? Why so downcast my soul? Why do I feel so terrible? Why am I so full of doubts? In fact, only recently I was meeting up with a a minister friend of mine, a really godly man, very faithful minister. And you know, he said to me, Gareth, some days I wonder if I'm even saved. You can get so low that you even wonder if I'm even saved. Even doubt my own salvation. Yes, I can believe that God's promises are true. Yes, I can believe that Christ died on the cross for me, but why do I feel so dreadful today? Why do I not feel like a Christian? Why does, why does everything feel so bleak? And where is that joy? Where is that hope? Where is it gone? Why do I not have it? Now, I believe the answer to that is in, is in the verb itself, the active infinitive tense of the verb believing. Having believed the gospel, we are filled with all joy and peace in believing. That is going on believing. I haven't just believed in the past tense, I go on believing. The reformer Martin Luther once famously said, we need to hear the gospel every day because we forget it every day. I don't know about you, but I need to preach the gospel to myself every day. I need to remind myself that I'm loved and I'm forgiven. I need to remind myself that Christ died for a wretch like me. And as we go deeper into the word of God and we have that assurance 
and we pray. We have that assurance once again. We see these truths and we say, I believe that. That's true for me. The enemy of our souls is bombarding us with every different direction, every kind of distraction from all different angles, trying to stop us from going back to this truth and holding on to it. That's why we can end up living like spiritual paupers. We have this truth, we have this, these riches in Christ, and yet we haven't reminded ourselves of what we have. Life has got busy. We haven't spent enough time in our Bibles. We haven't spent enough time in prayer. But when we do sit down again and we open Scripture... And we start reading. We read the Psalms. We see people who've cried out in the same way to us. We've seen people crying out with the same concerns that we're going through. We read real life stories of real flawed and broken, messed up people who cried out to God in their deepest and direst need and God came through for them and miraculously delivered them. We read about a God who makes these great and seemingly impossible promises and keeps every single one of them. A God of justice who does not ignore the innocent and those who are afflicted. We read about a God who humbles the proud and brings down kingdoms and empires. A God who is sovereignly in control of every single thing and works out all things for the good of those who love him. A God who spared Abraham's only son Isaac and yet did not spare his own son at the cross. A holy and righteous God who does not reject sinners but welcomes us in and offers us forgiveness and salvation through Jesus Christ. A God who sends his promised Holy Spirit to seal us for our salvation and redemption and guarantee us that salvation living in us. A God who will return at that appointed time as judge and will gather all his people to be with him forever. When we Read scripture, our faith is built up. That's why the apostle says in verse 4 of chapter 15, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. The scriptures, they provide us with everything that we need for salvation. They encourage us with the promises of God, but they also warn us, about the trials and temptations in this life. It's important for us to be reminded of what we're going to face. The Lord Jesus warns his disciples in John 16, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. It's a great encouragement for us when we see everything falling apart around us to know that God has overcome the world through his Son. James says in his epistle, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. These trials are refining us, and God is using them in our lives, even though they make no sense at the time. Peter says in his first epistle, Beloved, Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his his glory is revealed. Don't be surprised you're going through this. Being a Christian means that life is difficult and painful, but it's only temporary. And to have all joy and peace in believing is to be able to walk through the fire of this life. 
When we look in the book of Daniel, we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walking through the fire, but with the Lord Jesus Christ, with, with, with God walking with them. Today we have the Lord Jesus Christ walking with us, and God was with them in the furnace, and Christ is with us in the fire as we walk through it. And lastly, abounding in hope. We've already considered that God is the source of hope. And the only way to this hope, joy and peace is in believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. But that leads to the question, how do we go from having hope to abounding in it? How do I have an abundance of hope this morning? How can I have a hope that overflows into my life and relationship with others? That's really the question this morning. How do I get to have this hope? We find the answer right at the very end of Paul's prayer as he prays that they would abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you look back at Romans chapter 5 verses 3 to 5, the Apostle Paul says that we rejoice in our sufferings. That's an amazing thing to say, isn't it? We rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. It's a hope that doesn't put us to shame. It won't disappoint us, because God has poured his love into us by his Holy Spirit. Paul puts it another way in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 to 19. Again, this time the apostle is praying a benediction, but this time for the the Christians in Ephesus. And he prays that according to the riches of his glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints What is the breadth and length and height and depth? And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And you may hear that this morning and think, how could it be possible for me to be filled with all the fullness of God? That sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? How can I be filled with all the fullness of God? But it is possible. It is amazing, it is miraculous and supernatural. And it is by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. The mind-blowing reality is something that Paul explains in Romans again. In Romans 8 verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead in the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. Through the spirit who dwells in you. It's very hard to get our heads around that fact. But when we remember our spiritual state before we were born again. We were spiritually dead. And we were living like the rest of the world. Our desires were were very different. If you're a Christian here this morning, you'll know that your desires have been changed. You live differently. You want different things. You have a hunger for the things of God that you didn't have when you weren't a Christian. When I was not a Christian, I'm amazed that I lived the way I did. Why did I live that way? Why was that so important to me? Why did I chase after all these different things? Well, it's because I was unregenerate. I didn't have a desire for the things of God. And so, I am a new creation this morning. You are a new creation this morning if you're in Jesus Christ. If you put your faith in Him, you have new desires. And that is a work of the Holy Spirit. You've been regenerate. You've been born again. 
And that same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead brought about your salvation. And the same Holy Spirit lives in you. And it's the same regenerating Holy Spirit that's now sanctifying us and changing us and helps us to persevere through every single thing we're facing in, our, in this life. Whether it's trials or temptations, that same Holy Spirit helps us. That's why if you're trying to live the Christian life under your own strength, you'll soon come to the end of your resources. That's why you'll think, I don't even know if I'm saved. It's not that you're not saved. It's that you lack your assurance. You don't have the joy of your salvation. You lack the hope. You're not overflowing with hope. It's a losing battle until you come back to the word of God and see that we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. To abound in hope is to know that you have everything you need in Christ. It's to have your salvation secure in him. It's to be able to come to God in prayer at any point. To have that open communion with God. I think it's so sad as Christians we often neglect prayer. And yet that is how we speak to the Lord and and commune with him. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. The Holy Spirit who changes us and purifies us, sanctifies us and fills us our hearts with hope the more we grasp who Jesus is we grasp what he's done for us and what he's preparing for us what no eye has seen nor ear heard nor the heart of man imagine what God has prepared for those who love him then we'll abound in hope then we'll overflow with it we'll see that everybody else in the world is is living under the weight and fear of what if and yet for us as Christians we can say even if The worst possible thing happens. I have the joy of my salvation. I overflow with hope. I have a hope that won't disappoint. Even if I lose absolutely everything, I haven't lost my salvation. I haven't lost my saviour. I live according to the spirit and not by the flesh. I can look at the world and see where all hell is breaking loose and the terrible mess that it's all in. And I can read scripture and see that, well, creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. This has been happening ever since the fall. It's only going to get worse. And I can read scripture and I can understand why things are the way they are in this life, but also what I need to do to escape the coming judgment and the assurance of the Lord Jesus Christ's soon return. Yes, I abound with hope. I overflow with it, not because of my own understanding or my worldview, but because the Holy Spirit lives in me and he opens up my mind and heart to the truth. To know that one day my body will eventually fail if the Lord Jesus doesn't come back soon. I'll grow old, I'll get sick. But one day I'll also have a perfect resurrection body. No more will I struggle with the weakness and sinfulness of this age. No longer will I struggle with sickness, with with sadness, with, with sin in my life. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I'll gaze in the face of my beloved Savior for all eternity. What a hope that is. What hope is like it. The Christian is able to say, there is no other hope like this at all. I have it and it is truly divine. In the words of the old hymn, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's just bow our heads as we pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, that we have this hope. It's a hope that doesn't put us to shame, and it's a hope that doesn't disappoint. Lord, we pray that you would continue 
to pour your spirit into our hearts that we would have that abounding hope in our lives. I pray for everyone here that as we go to work tomorrow, as we, as we go about our lives, that things will have changed in us because we'll have grasped how loved we are. We will have grasped what you've done for us on the cross and that we would abound in that hope of, of knowing that we have so much to look forward to in Christ. Lord, I pray that we would check our spiritual bank accounts as it were more often. That we would know the riches we have in Christ. That we would rejoice in that. That we would give thanks to you every day for what you've done for us. And we also pray for those we know who don't know you. Those like the atheist who lives that depressing, miserable existence and is under judgment. We pray, Lord, for those we know that don't know you, that they would come to repent and believe the gospel. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness and grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.